Hello, and welcome to the eTech Podcast with me, your host, Ryan Morn. I have been involved in the development of electrified vehicles and machines since 2005 as an engineer and a business leader. This podcast is the product of my passion for electric and autonomous vehicle technology. I'm here to share knowledge from some of the world's leading experts, as well as my own insights. Join me as we accelerate the transition to cleaner, safer and smarter vehicles and grow the industry around the world. Really, really pleased to be here today with um, someone that I've known for a little while now. So, uh, Mihai Dorobantu from Eaton. Um, so, global corporation, uh, heavily involved in vehicle electrification. And we've got a really interesting discussion coming up about efficiency, particularly in the commercial vehicle space. So, uh, welcome to the show, Mihai. Thank you. It's good to be here with you, Ryan. Great. Um, so, could we just start by getting a bit of history on on yourself, um, your background, and where you're from, and how you ended up doing what you're doing now? Okay. Uh, well, Ryan, um, I started uh, with uh, applied mathematics. I, uh, I have a degree in uh, differential equations, which was all nice and interesting. But what was more interesting was uh, using that for modeling and simulation and coming in to solve uh, real-life uh, problems. So after about uh, three, four years of um, uh, doing modeling, simulation, uh, methods for those, but also consulting uh, with um, uh, industrial partners in helping them uh, set up um, uh, difficult uh, engineering uh, problems. I moved into, let us say, the real uh, industry. I worked for about eight years with United Technology Corporations, where um, I've been mostly involved in their uh, dynamic modeling and simulation uh, groups, as well as controls and uh, embedded systems. Uh, working in diverse uh, number of applications, uh, like um, anything ranging from uh, aerospace um, engine design to um, HVAC, uh, air conditioning uh, systems, vapor compression systems for um, air quality in, uh, in homes. And then for the past 14 years, I've been with Eaton Corporation, starting really uh, by setting up a capability in controls and embedded systems but then have moved into our vehicle business where I had the um, uh, kind of the best job in the world to uh, take care of advanced technology. And, and when I'm saying this is the best job in the world, it's because that's where you get to dream about new technology be before it actually happens and be at that fuzzy front end where you can experiment and where you can see concepts move into ideas and then uh, more concrete ideas and then into new product design. So um, yes, uh, that, that's who I am. Right now I'm responsible for technology strategy in uh, Eaton's vehicle group and our interactions with government agencies such as regulatory agencies which are really driving technology these days um, as well as um, advanced R&D funding which is I think uh, how uh, we got to, to, uh, to meet uh, a few years back. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and and just for so some people might not know because I mean Eaton, if you're in the commercial vehicle space uh, you probably know Eaton but quite a lot of people might not know who Eaton are and I, and actually even if you think you know who Eaton are I'm constantly surprised actually by really what Eaton 
actually really does these days. So would it, would it be possible just to get a little overview of, of what Eaton is all about as a business? Sure, Ryan. So Eaton is a diversified industrial manufacturer. Uh, we are about a um, uh, $22, $23 billion a year uh, in, uh, in, in sales to give you um, a sense of, uh, of size. Yeah. And uh, about two-thirds, 60% of the company uh, is really in electrical power management, uh, electrical power distribution, power quality, uh, anything ranging from um, uh, switch gear from uh, high voltage to medium voltage um, substations, microgrids, um, data center, uh, electrical management. Uh, we do things like supplying electrical power for uh, hospitals and stadiums and, and, and the like. So that is a big core competency of uh, Eaton. The uh, other 40% of Eaton is, uh, we call it the industrial sector, which really has an uh, aerospace power management um, uh, division, a hydraulics power management uh, division. So you'll see us on uh, the um, John Deere and uh, JCB and Case New Holland sort of uh, uh, mobile um, agriculture and construction uh, type of um, equipment. And then uh, last but not least, it's the vehicle group, the vehicle business uh, that I work in, which is really the beginning of Eaton maybe 110 years ago. And um, uh, we started by um, uh, building axles for trucks and, and grew that business. Today, uh, our, our vehicle business really has three legs. Uh, one of it, and, and people know us uh, for, for different applications. So for example, we are a uh, large supplier of um, air management systems for internal combustion engines, such as valve, valve actuation, variable valve actuation, superchargers is um, uh, what, what Eaton is, is known for, so boosting uh, for internal combustion engines for performance and, and these days for fuel economy and even more importantly for um, uh, thermal management for uh, uh, ultra-low NOx uh, solutions. Uh, so that is one leg of our vehicle business. Uh, the second leg of our vehicle business is really torque management. So transmissions, uh, especially for heavy-duty commercial vehicles, uh, transmissions, clutches. We've been one of the uh, pioneers of hybrid uh, electrical um, uh, transmissions uh, or systems, if you wish, for uh, commercial vehicles. We, we made that a business in 2007. And uh, we are um, sending over a thousand systems, commercial uh, vehicle hybrid systems, uh, a year uh, for a very long time now. But we brag about having more than two billion hybrid electrical uh, miles uh, under, wow. under our belt. Uh, and then the the third uh, leg of uh, this business is our e-mobility um, uh, business, which really focuses on three things: um, power electronics. Yeah. So inverters, DC to DC converters, um, and chargers, and, and the like. Power distribution and safety, we are number one in fuses, for example, contactors, uh, and power distribution units uh, for, for both the light-duty and commercial uh, vehicles. And then the third leg uh, of that, which is probably uh, where we uh, interact most, is uh, power systems for electrical vehicles. So uh, multi-speed transmissions uh, is um, uh, kind of uh, one example, but we also have 48 volt solutions and, um, and, and the like. 
where uh, we are trying to uh, manage power and torque uh, for uh, more efficient uh, electrical vehicles. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And I mean, the the combination of skills there within Eton is uh, really ideal. I can imagine sort of 10 years ago, people probably thinking, uh, what are these guys doing? They do gearboxes and uh, and that kind of, we are famous for that, but all this power electronics stuff, that's a terrible combination. What are they thinking? <laughs> but it's uh, right in the moment right now. Uh, that, yes, that, that's right. Other, other companies that look like us from the mechanical side have to go through mergers and acquisitions and um, uh, joint ventures uh, to... Um, be able to play in this uh, in this space, uh, Ryan. Yeah. We had to do our own internal <laughs> M&A, if you wish, merger <laughs> acquisition uh, between our capabilities on the vehicle side, especially on the commercial vehicle side, uh, in terms of managing power, but also and, and torque, but also understanding the applications, the commercial vehicle applications and their needs, yeah. uh, and match that with uh, the uh, skills and the supply chain and the uh, market position in uh, uh, power electronics and, and uh, electrical power uh, management power distribution yeah. fantastic so so to get on into the kind of main topic the the the, the kind of interest in terms of um, pulling this podcast episode together started out with seeing you talk about uh, multi-speed transmissions and and it's a bit of an unusual topic this because you know Obviously, electric vehicles is a, is a fairly new thing. So, particularly in heavy duty, you know, it, hybrid and electric has been around, but not really mainstream. But the the kind of state of the art, so where most people are at, is EVs tend to have a single speed um, gearbox, so a much simpler gearbox than an internal combustion engine vehicle, um, and 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 that single single reduction gearbox drives the the vehicle, but Eaton's got some really interesting technology, which is kind of the next step on potentially from this. And, you know, it, the, 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 the kind of benefits and the experience in that was, was really interesting to me. So I, I wonder if you could just kind of talk on the experience that you've built up in, um, in multi-speed transmissions in heavy duty applications. Um, sure. I mean, this is this subject is uh, near and dear to uh, to my heart. Look, um, as the um, uh, pure electric vehicles took off uh, in, in the um, uh, light duty in, uh, in the passenger car arena, it became very apparent that the electrical drivetrain is actually a simplification, if you wish, in terms of powertrain design, and not only that you go from uh, an internal combustion engine with several thousands of moving parts to an electric motor that has very few moving parts, and yes, you will need a um, uh, one one uh, gearbox, one step uh, gearbox for matching the electrical motor, much higher speed to uh, what the um, uh, wheels and the axle uh, uh, in the vehicle need. Yeah. But, but apart from that, just from the raw simplification of the mechanical complexity, there was also a significant simplification in controls. So suddenly all that quote-unquote black magic of calibrating multiple speeds or, 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 or letting the human, the driver, kind of decide when to shift gears and, and for that, all that, uh, um, all, all that, I'll call it art and science, 
kind of went away and became a simple matching the uh, the um, you know the uh, throttle position, the um, uh, accelerator pedal uh, position to um, uh, whatever the electric motor needs to be, which translates immediately to um, torque uh, at, at the wheels. Yeah, yeah. And light duty that was really good and, and really I, I think it was an important part of making it. In, into light duty, in, in, into uh, passenger cars. Yeah, and of course, the facilitator there is your electric motor has 100% torque from zero RPM, and the torque tails off as the speed goes up, but the combustion engine has no torque at zero RPM and has to develop torque as, as RPMs rise and matching the right. that torque speed characteristic of a combustion engine to what you need at the road is really difficult, whereas on an electric uh, motor, yeah. you've instant torque, bang, away you go. So, so so far, so simple. <laughs> That's kind yes. of uh... yes, right, um, and no doubt. And, and, but if you take a step back and you look at how much torque you need at high speed and at low speed, it, you find out that for passenger cars, for reasonable launch on a grade on, under reasonable weight conditions, the torque that you need at launch is roughly speaking, same order of magnitude as the torque that you're going to need on the freeway um, uh, at, at high speed. It's yeah. maybe two, three times larger. So that means that if you have reasonable amount of torque accessed at very low speed, you can do all your low speed driving without uh, uh, needing um, uh, a gearbox. Yeah. For commercial vehicles, the, uh, the situation is very different. So commercial vehicles need an immense amount of torque at, low, uh, at launch and at very low speed compared to the, the torque that they need in, in order to put the power that they need to, uh, to drive at, at high speed. So instead of the, the, the launch torque for a commercial vehicle can be 10, 20 times the size of the torque uh, at, at launch uh, can be uh, 10, 20 times the size of the torque that you might need uh, at, at high speed. And that's a big difference. Wow. So, and, and what happened then with the first generation of commercial vehicles, uh, uh, pure EVs, this torque at launch was the deciding factor for sizing um, uh, electric motors. And yeah. we ended up with really big electric motors. Yeah. So there are an, an, a number of uh, variables that, that you have to look at. One is that in an electric vehicle, it is easier to make more power than it is to make more torque. Yep. If you need to make more power, all you need to do, and I'm, I'm having here some air quotes, because <laughs> yeah. all you have to do is always a dangerous thing. <laughs> yeah, easy. Five minute job. But yeah. all you have to do is up the voltage, right? Yes. So yeah. up the voltage at the same current, you get more power. Uh, uh, that, that's easy. Torque is different. Torque is really dependent on, on how much uh, magnetic material um, uh, you, you put in. So if you need to double the torque, you need to double your magnets, for example, yeah. uh, if you are in the uh, permanent magnet business. And, and, and that sort of uh, becomes, uh, becomes the limiting factor. So if you, uh, to double the torque, you really need to double the weight. You need to double the cost. You need to double uh, the... Um, amount of magnetic material, the amount of copper okay, that you're putting yeah. uh, into in the electric motor. So, it, so torque is expensive yeah. in an electric motor. 
Yeah. Um, and, and, and you know that because uh, your electrical motors are trying to get around that problem by uh, by making the um, well the the axle flux motors yeah. are are one way to limit this growth this linear growth if you wish uh, in, in torque. So you can produce a relatively high torque motor in a small envelope. But what happened in commercial vehicles, we ended up with these very large permanent magnet motors that were giving really unsatisfactory torque. So they were limiting the applications in terms of start torque. Yep. What worked very well for pass cars turned out to work not that, that well for, for commercial vehicles, for, for heavy duty vehicles. And there's a limit to how much, uh, so when you put a high torque motor, these, because they're so big, they also tend to be low speed motors. Yeah. So in order to, to achieve your, your road speed, you know, uh, 60 miles per hour, or whatever it is, 90 kilometers an hour, 95 kilometers an hour for a commercial vehicle uh, in, in Europe, there's only so much reduction that you can put in one gearbox before you start over speeding your motor at, high road speed. So there's this sort of balance that has to happen between you want to put a deep reduction for startability to get that enormous torque, but you cannot put a very deep, too deep of a reduction because then you'll overspeed your motor, which by the way is also limited in speed because it's so so big. Uh, You'll overspeed it at, um, uh, at, at road speed. The compromise that people made was that uh, they, they did EV commercial vehicles, especially the heavy ones, really just oriented towards flat, uh, flat terrain, not very high grades, yep. because they cannot really solve that startability problem. Yeah, and there's an acceptance that the EV would just never be quite as good as the, the conventional diesel. And, and I think actually that did damage the reputation of some EV programs, you know, if, if you go back, I, I certainly heard feedback from end users who were complaining about the EVs not performing. And, and I always remember thinking, that's, you know, this is, that shouldn't be the case. You know, we should actually be able to engineer a better EV solution than a, than a diesel engine. But uh, be, because of this big limitation and, and the trade-offs in motor size and current and the costs of these uh, very large motors, um, it was always really difficult to get the performance uh, to be, be comparable to that of a conventional uh, heavy vehicle. Right. And, and we ended up in a situation where I think electric cars were maybe 10, 15 years ago. Uh, I still remember the days when people would say, well, we'll never have electric cars because, you know, just look at a golf cart. <laughs> Can you imagine driving a golf cart uh, on, on, the, you know, on the freeway? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and boy... <laughs> Were people wrong then? But we <laughs> yeah. still hear today, uh, you know, uh, less so today. But, but four or five years ago, uh, we heard the same story for, for commercial vehicles. Yeah, sure, it's nice to be electric and there's, um, you know, uh, zero uh, emissions of any kind, of the poisonous kind, of uh, the uh, global warming kind, zero emissions. This is all great, but it drives like a golf cart. <laughs> uh, yeah. And... Um, um, and, and that had to change. That had to change. Yeah. So, um, look, um, at the end of the day, there, were, there, there are three sort of myths um, uh, here, misunderstandings uh, around how electrical machines fit into commercial vehicles. The first one is that the higher torque at low speed will solve all the problems as it did for, uh, for most cases in, in, in past cars. Uh, that, that's not true. 
Um, so um, the second one is that electrical machines have a flat um, efficiency curve. Mm. And people like you are working to make it as flat as um, uh, as possible, but the reality is that there is there there is an efficiency drop off at the edges, both at the very low speed but also the very high speed of the electrical motors, and and that means for commercial vehicles at least it means a huge penalty efficiency penalty at high speeds. So yep. you really do not want to drive a truck. A, a, a heavy truck at high speed in uh, outside of its most efficient spot, and those tend not to be at the high speed end of the uh, uh, electrical motors. Yeah, as compounded by the fact you tend to be lightly loaded at those higher speeds as well. So that's <laughs> the, the the yeah 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 okay right. So uh, because uh, you know just to put things into perspective you are probably running two kilowatts per per mile uh, at high speed. That, that's just because of your aerodynamic loads and, uh, and, and, and things like that. So it does make a difference if you're 80% or 90% or 95% efficient at those, uh, at those speeds. When you come from diesel land, it sounds wow, you know what? What are you quibbling here? Uh, because you know we're, uh, between eighty percent and ninety percent, I would kill for that. Because in, uh, in in a diesel engine, we're talking about am I forty or forty five percent efficient? Mm -hmm. and, and and people will take a lot of trouble to make sure that you know I'm not forty five percent. I'm actually forty seven percent efficient at um, at high speed. Yeah. Because of the, because of the um, the penalty, we're talking about you know ten percent difference on two kilowatts per mile, which essentially means two kilowatts per minute, uh, and ten percent of that you know adds up very quickly in, in terms of um, uh, of battery needs. So yeah. th this flat efficiency, yes, it is there, and it is significantly bigger, better than um, uh, than what we're used to uh, in, um, uh, in in diesel. But you still do not want to run your uh, electrical motor at the high end, uh, you know, in, into the less efficient um, uh, spot when, when you're at high speed. Yeah. And I think the, the third piece or, or the, the corollary, which people don't quite appreciate, of having high torque at low speed is that you're power limited at low speed. Yeah. And, you know, that power limited at low speed, you would say, well, in a commercial vehicle, who wants to drive like a maniac, right? Like, uh, who needs, uh, you know, 500 horsepower at very low speed? You, you really don't. <laughs> and, and that is true. <laughs> that, that, that is true. You know, you, you don't have to, you know, uh, to, to get to um, road speed in 10 seconds or, or, or whatever, yeah. which you could do by putting four or five high-performance Pascar um, uh, electric motors on a truck. And, and we've seen sort of uh, concept trucks uh, that do that, and they can unleash, you know, a thousand horsepower or something like that and accelerate really, really fast. <laughs> but the reality of commercial vehicles is you, you never need that, and you don't need that, and you don't need to pay the price in batteries and in electrical energy consumption uh, for that kind of performance. Yeah. But there is one situation where you do want to have max power at low speed, and that is when you're braking. And this is completely different than internal combustion engines where when you're braking or when you're coasting, you defuel the engine, and that's kind of the best you can do. 
But as you know, Ryan, for, for uh, electrical vehicles, we can do much better than that, yeah. uh, than no consumption while braking. You can actually regenerate. And when you regenerate electrical energy, even at low speed, you want to regenerate as much of it as possible. So being limited uh, with, um, with a single speed transmission, being limited at low speed uh, in how much power you can generate, because then you're running the, the motor slowly, by definition, yeah. and you're in the high torque but low power mode, that then limits the amount of regen that you can do. And this is really where the magic of multi-speed transmission comes in. So you get to keep the motor in its constant power, so peak power point, at its most efficient when you're doing regen, so you recover more energy back into the battery, which when you're slowing right. down a 40-ton <laughs> truck is a lot of energy, potentially. Right. So here's sort of what our experience has been. Uh, about four or five years ago, we introduced a two-speed transmission for medium and heavy-duty buses, yeah. electric buses. Uh, and we did that mostly to achieve... Uh, so so what, what did we achieve? We geared uh, the truck so that in top gear, it will run efficiently at high speed. And then we put for the start gear, we put enough reduction so that we could give with a reasonable motor, we could give all the torque in the world yeah. that, that the truck, uh, that that bus needed for um, high-grade uh, launches. And it turned out it was almost a four or five to one ratio. It's a big ratio, yeah. the big change. So that means that at low speed, we could deliver to the wheels four or five times the torque rating of that motor. And together with what was happening in the axle, that was enough to give that bus or that truck enough performance to start on really steep grade while maintaining efficiency at high speed yeah. and while maintaining a relatively small motor. So the power of the motor was definitely given by, you know, the um, uh, acceleration requirements and the, um, uh, the, the, the top speed, constant top speed uh, requirements. Yeah. That's where the power came, uh, requirements came from. But the torque requirements were small because of that launch gear. And, and when I say small, it was about, you know, I, I just said it, four or five times the uh, uh, reduction uh, ratio. That means that the motor, from a torque perspective, could be four or five times smaller than what a direct drive would need. Yeah, yeah. And that meant that the motor itself shrunk in size, in weight, about four times. Yeah. Now, you, of course, you have to add the weight of the uh, transmission. So at the end of the day, the powertrain shrunk by a factor of two, but it shrunk by a factor of four in the expensive part, in the copper and the, and the magnets and things like that. Yeah. So that, that was pretty significant. While maintaining all the startability uh, needs that these, uh, these uh, trucks and, and buses had so that they, they, they could be deployed in any region, they could be deployed in any application, in the normal application. We just removed that, uh, that barrier. Yeah. So that was great. And, uh, and we launched these vehicles and, and now they are kind of mainstay. And I'm pleased to say that by now, kind of the whole market has accepted that you need at least two gears in commercial vehicles. But then we asked ourselves the question, well, can we do better than that? And we developed a four-speed transmission for the same application. 
and our initial thought was that what this four-speed transmission will do will, be, will achieve two things. One, it will keep the motor, the electrical motor, more tightly into its maximum efficiency. These were motors that were over 90% efficient, and, and with four speeds, we could make sure that we were 90% efficient or better all the time, as opposed to 85% efficient or 80% efficient sometime. Yep. Okay? So that was the first piece. And the second piece was, the, if we have four gears, then, then we can shift more often, and the time to shift is going to be very short, essentially imperceptible to, um, uh, to the passengers or to the driver. Yeah. Right? Because, because we, we just made smaller jumps all the time, and the electric shifts are very fast because you use the electrical machine to synchronize the, uh, uh, the transmission. Yeah. So we said we're going to go after two things, getting that last ounce of efficiency and improving the, um, uh, the comfort uh, and, uh, in, in the truck. So the deepest gear remained the same. It was given by startability requirements on grade. The top gear was the same. It was to maximize efficiency at high speed because that is the high power consumption mode. Yeah. And the intermediate gears, their role were to make the shifts imperceptible, uh, so to give you the right quality and keep the motor longer in its peak efficiency mode. If we say we're going to eliminate some of those 85% efficiency situations and bump them up to 90, 95% efficiency, we were expecting to see overall maybe a 5% improvement in efficiency, yeah. um, uh, in electrical efficiency, which is not to scoff at, right? Because no. remember, these are commercial vehicles that are using over a day maybe 100, 200, 300 kilowatt hour batteries. So these are very large batteries. So five saving 5% of that, either in terms of range or in terms of battery, is a big deal. Yeah. And then we found out that, in fact, we were seeing 15, 20, 25% improvement in overall efficiency. And Sorry, just so 15 to 20, wow, that's incredible. So three or four times more. That's a very big number. Yeah. That does not come from keeping that motor into the 90 to 95% efficiency uh, uh, part of the map all the time as opposed to just some part of the time. So yeah. where did it come from? And then, we, and then we start getting reports from the field. The foundation brakes in the two-speed combination were, using, were being used about, for about 50% of the total brake energy. Right. And once we introduced the four-speed, now that the, the time that the foundation brakes were used decreased so much that they were really used only for about 2% of the total brake energy. 2%? So we, yes. <laughs> it, now, of course, this is drive cycle dependent. So these are buses yeah. that do a lot of braking, no doubt. And what's more important, they do a lot of braking at moderate to low speed. They don't really apply the brakes that hard at high speed. Yeah. Uh, you really don't want to be in that situation. <laughs> no. But they do apply the brakes, they work the brakes hard at lower speed, and that's where the electrical machine was power limited. Right. So by, by running that motor, that electrical machine, I should call it generator in, in this world, by running the generator at higher speeds because of the, uh, of, of the gearing, yeah. uh, we were able to significantly increase I would say even maximize the amount of regen power. Great. So when you're talking 20% in, 
improvements in overall efficiency over bus routes, you know, that starts to get, uh, to, um, uh, to get people's attention. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's not so much the cost with an EV, is it? Because the, the fuel is so much cheaper than a electric, although the, I mean, I'm personally passionate about that efficiency, but it's more to do with the range. Is, you know, 15, 20% extra range, that's less time charging, that's more utilisation on the bus, that's more flexibility. I mean, even 20%, if you could reduce the mass of the battery by 20%, yeah. that would be hundreds of kilos uh, if you didn't need the power. I mean, and, and that just becomes yeah, a very big circle. Cost. Yeah, big cost saving on a smaller battery. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. yeah, that's what drives the excitement here. And, and now we're, we're taking this from, uh, from buses to um, heavy-duty vehicles. Uh, in the United States, we have a significant problem in ports. Yeah. We, we have a lot of very old trucks that are idling or moving very slowly in ports, but then they have to be roadworthy and they have to move fast uh, on, on freeways as they take goods from ports to distribution centers, to rail stations and, and things like that. Uh, that application is called dryage, yeah. uh, and it's particularly well suited for electrical vehicles, but these are heavy-duty electric vehicles. And they have, you know, they in California, there's a... Um, 7% bridge that they have to be able to uh, make at reasonable uh, highway speed. And uh, they do uh, work on the, uh, on the highway. They spend some time on, on the freeway, so they have to be efficient at high speed. Mm -hmm. But then they also have to do a lot of stop-start and uh, you know, low-speed, low-load uh, type of um, traffic inside the port itself. Perfect so, for an electric truck. Yeah. So, so we are helping uh, some of our OEM customers there with four-speed transmissions for these kind of um, applications that are significantly reducing the, the torque on the electric motors. Once again, there's nothing you can do. A transmission does nothing for power. Yeah. Power you have to build into the electrical machine and, and, with, the volt, uh, and with the voltage of the um, electrical system. Yeah. That's given. But what, what the transmission does, it makes up for torque, and it allows you to access a high power mode during uh, region braking. And, and think about it, Ryan. When you accelerate a commercial vehicle, it's okay to use 30, 40, 50 seconds to go you know, from zero to, say, 50 kilometers an hour or 60 kilometers an hour. Yeah. You know, nobody really expects uh, uh, th these machines to be snappy. No. However, when you're braking from 50 to 60 kilometers an hour and you have to break down to zero, many times you do not have 30 seconds or 40 seconds to do that, yeah. right? To absorb the amount of power that you put in. So it's much better to size your electrical machine and your batteries and your voltage for the power that you need for acceleration, knowing that you're going to need more of that power when you're uh, when you're braking because you're braking at a faster rate than you accelerate, and, but then you can use gears to to be efficient and, and to recover and to have access to that um, uh, power while you're braking through gearings rather than oversizing the electrical machine. Wow, and I, I think it's such an alien concept to someone if you're used to designing internal combustion engine vehicles you, you know you don't it's not even a, a consideration the, the thinking about using the transmission in that way for, for engine braking you know it, it just doesn't diesel engines don't do engine braking really unless you know it, it's it's such an alien concept people would not 
be even thinking about that and without having the experience of having done it you know and, it, and as you said even you guys were surprised at the the level of um, improvement that you saw uh, can i ask is it it's all automated so the transmission has its own control unit it just it makes a decision about which gear it needs to be in and, and does it or does the driver have to get involved at all so the the, the transmissions that we build are all automated uh transmissions i i think that um for, for the driver, it really feels like a like a single speed uh, transmission. There is no uh, no difference. The uh, the shift decisions are made based on on the condition of the vehicle. So the torque request, uh, together with the uh, mass of the vehicle and um, the uh, the efficiency map of the uh, motor, which is really the motor, the inverter, the batteries, all these sort of um, energy considerations come in. And the reason why this is so uh, so snappy is because really the electrical machine is used to precisely synchronize the, uh, uh, the transmission. That it would be very hard for a manual driver to actually synchronize the uh, an electrical transmission. Right. Uh, first of all, you you don't have the auto cues <laughs> of a roaring internal combustion engine to help you feel, so to speak, when when you are at the right motor speed. And, and the reactions are just fast. I mean, we synchronize in typically around half a second uh, during the shift. That is much faster than, than a driver can react with a sort of a, a manual command. I mean, a lot of um, EV sort of, I was going to say aficionados or geeks, whichever your angle is, I, I definitely fall into the geek category. The, um, you know, the, the, the original Tesla Roadster had a two-speed gearbox, so they, they were using two gears. But they, they went away from that pretty quickly because they had some big reliability issues with it, I believe. Uh, it was essentially an, a modified internal combustion engine transmission. You know, I, I, I know making gearboxes work properly with electric motors is a, is a lot more difficult than people tend to realise um, from, from our own experience. So making this relatively complex transmission, I mean, it sounds easier in some ways than a, a gearbox to go with a, an engine. But... There must have been some pretty significant challenges in terms of making that handle the torque in both directions and do every, everything that you need it to do. That, that is correct, Ryan. Um, like everybody else, uh, we took the natural approach, the incremental approach. Can we find a, um, uh, a, an available transmission uh, that we might modify and, and so forth uh, to fit it for the um, EV um, situation? Yeah. Um, and... Um, we quickly found out that that was not the way um, to go. So, so a number of uh, major differences here. So you, you mentioned the first one, there's no need for a reverse, but not only that there's no need for a reverse, now you have to pay attention for your directed gears, how do they actually work in reverse? Yeah. So you start with a gear profile, which is, which is now different because, you know, High performance transmissions uh, gears, uh, the reverse gears have completely different geometry than, than, than the forward um, gears, so that is a change. Uh, the, the second important uh, change here is how do you actually size the gears? So for, a, um, for an internal combustion engine, the um, deep reduction gears that are used for launch are perhaps sized for a few hours or maybe tens of hours of life yeah. And that is enough to last for 12 years, 15 years, whatever the life of the transmission is. Yeah. Uh, because they're only used for a few seconds just at launch. Conversely, 
the high gear, uh, the high speed gears are, um, uh, you know, they carry significantly less torque, so they they need to be sized appropriately for for life and efficiency at, at lighter torque situations. In the electrical, um, in the EV uh, gearbox, these situations can be reversed, and, and the bus can well spend most of its time at, uh, you know, in, in the first couple of gears and spend a relatively small amount of time in its top gears only when it would be at almost highway speed or at high speed for whatever uh, limited amount of time. All the rules of thumb, if you wish, or best practices in terms of gear sizing and gear life and, and things like that kind of get thrown out the window and you really have to think, take a clean sheet approach and, and go back to the fundamentals of why we size gears the way we do and, uh, and, and, and things like that. And relearn, if you wish, uh, reprogram our DNA almost when we think about um, EV transmissions. Uh, otherwise, we just inherit the, um, uh, the limitations of the transmissions. Even uh, the third piece of this is the, um, uh, what the power plant is doing. So, you know, you have high torque, low speed uh, electrical motor. You have low torque at low speed in, in, a, in a diesel engine. You have a relatively flat um, uh, maximum power, rated power uh, area uh, for the uh, uh, electric motor for diesel. Uh, your power starts dropping at um, at higher uh, engine speed. The transmission design actually reflects uh, reflects uh, those those characteristics. And I think the um, sort of uh, the, the the last uh, piece here is really how you actually synchronize uh, yeah. the transmissions. The fact that you, that you, the electric motor is so controllable, so much more controllable than an internal combustion engine, offers new opportunities for very fast synchronization, very precise synchronization, while eliminating things like synchronizers and clutches and, uh, and things like that, that are always sort of life-limiting and uh, performance-limiting parts uh, in, uh, in, in a conventional uh, transmission. Wow. Uh, one of the things that we we often hear people struggling with on EV programs, and this, I mean, this is OEM programs as well, is the noise so because uh, uh, so transmission noise because normally a normal transmission has an engine to run against which is is pretty noisy so the transmission you don't really notice but in an EV because the motor is silent you all of a sudden transmission noise starts to become a, a major challenge and and we've heard some I mean stories from some really big OEMs getting caught out by this on a commercial vehicle was noise a consideration did you have any work to do there or did it did it all just come together okay well the uh, uh, the answer um, <laughs> is yes uh, noise is a consideration we had some experience with that from from the past so as we developed hybrid uh, 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 transmissions mm. uh, we were we, we faced the, uh, the the problem with, with our commercial vehicle hybrids for a long time uh, especially when, when they um, launch electrically or when they are in pretty much uh, driven by the electrical motor only, yeah. uh, so that the um, uh, diesel engine is either idling or it perhaps even turned off. So, um, so yes, noise is an issue, but in the commercial vehicle space, we've been dealing with that issue uh, for a long time. The reality is also that noise 
even for internal combustion engine transmissions, for conventional transmissions, noise has been going down more and more as the um, customer expectation has been going up uh, in terms of driver comfort and, and, and so forth. So even though uh, during uh, snap accelerations or at very high speed, the transmission noise is hidden by the engine noise, at lower speeds, uh, under lighter load consideration, the transmission uh, noises today is significantly less than it was 10 years ago, let me put it that way. Right. Oh, fantastic. Was there a spe- anything special needed for lubrication? Again, the, I, I've seen that cause a lot of issues with the low-speed torque, basically welding gears up in um, poorly designed gearboxes. So, you know, transmission lubrication seems to be a, a big topic on um, electric vehicles. Do you have any special features for that? Well, I, I mean, uh, Eaton is a transmission manufacturer for very many years. Yeah. Uh, so... Um, I think we, we have evolved a lot, even on conventional transmissions, from um, uh, you know many gallons of oil and uh, that was being splashed around by uh, by the gears themselves, sort of being dipped into um, uh, into a bath of oil. Uh, we've moved to precision uh, uh, lubrication now for efficiency reasons, yeah. uh, and, and that's and that's what we're applying also for these um, transmissions. At the end of the day so-called dry sump approach mm. is really a, um, the way to go about lubrication because it allows you to control lubrication and, and to do it in an economical fashion. At the end of the day, uh, having um, big, uh, a big oil bath in which the, uh, the gears uh, turn around, uh, that's also an efficiency uh, hit. Yeah. So we have moved to precision lubrication with our conventional transmissions um, uh, as well. And uh, what that means for EV transmissions, what may be different for EV uh, transmissions, is the need to, um, uh, to, to have uh, some kind of um, uh, lubric- uh, lubrication pumps that are driven, well, obviously electrically, yeah. uh, maybe di- uh, driven independent of the uh, transmission uh, I- itself. Yeah. Most of our yeah. normal uh, line haul diesel transmissions uh, the uh, oil pumps are driven by the gears themselves. That is not the case uh, with, uh, with the EV transmission. They do have their own uh, lubrication circuit. So I, th- I think uh, the answer, Ryan, is yes, we do pay a lot of attention to lubrication, yes. uh, not, not just for the sake of lubrication, but also for the sake of uh, maintaining that high efficiency, efficiency yeah. so that we, uh, we don't waste away all the... Uh, efficiency savings uh, by, by running the motor better or the, gener- uh, the electrical machine better, uh, and then we waste it away by not being careful uh, with, uh, uh, with, with lubrication. Because, of course, that, I mean, that is one of the criticisms we, you, when you hear people talking about what, you know, good single speed transmissions in EVs, multi speed, people talk about, well, the extra drag in the gearbox and that um, the oil churning losses and such like, but obviously. The system that you guys have developed completely gets rid of that because because of the precision lubrication and the dry sump technology. So it's um, it just goes to show with with that extra bit of experience that you've you've had and and the, and the, the the all of the road miles uh, that you've managed to accumulate that you can really develop a, a good product. Yep. So. Um, just noticing the time, if we've, there's so many questions that I could ask, but we probably need to uh, think about wrapping up. 
could you give me a comment in terms of what you see, you know, somewhat with, with all your experience and in the space, where you see the next couple of years going, what's exciting you at the moment in terms of, of technology coming through and, and in the field of electrification? What, um, any, any kind of uh, predictions that you have? <laughs> well, I think there's uh, still uh, a, um, an interesting uh, play going on between central line transmissions, like the ones that we have, where we can put more gears in, and um, uh, we're finding out that four, four gears is, uh, will maximize that performance, especially during brake, and it will also feel very smooth, so imperceptible for the driver. And we also like the center location, thinking that in commercial, commercial vehicles is a high mix, low volume type of uh, market. And we still think that the combustion, internal combustion engine is still gonna be there for a while. So the central line uh, transmission has, the, has one additional advantage that it is in some sense modular for the chassis. You can build the same chassis with a internal combustion engine or with an electric um, motor. Yeah. Not everybody's gonna do that, but in the high, high mix low volume type of applications, having that kind of modularity so that you can quote unquote swap internal combustion engine for uh, electrical drive does have some advantages. On the other hand, we are watching the, uh, the rise of the e-axle, the electrical axle, or the wheel hub motors or, or something that's approaching um, sort of, uh, individual wheel motors. And there are certainly advantages to that architecture as well, especially in things like uh, buses or city delivery vehicles where floor space uh, is really um, uh, important. Uh, so I think as we go into the future, uh, as we look into the future, uh, the market will likely start bifurcating into more sort of general purpose applications where modularity, even with the internal combustion engine, is important at the chassis level uh, versus specialized applications or those where floor space is critical that will probably go towards the um, uh, e-axle or, or uh, variants or dialects, uh, if, if you wish, uh, of uh, those. So central line uh, transmission versus the uh, transmission being incorporated together with the motors in, in, into the axle uh, itself. I think that is a big, um, uh, a big bifurcation that, that is probably going to happen, especially because on the e-axle side, two-speed two speed e-axle is probably the uh, higher level of complexity that you can afford without sacrificing uh, the, um, uh, the differentiator, uh, yeah. which is floor space. Yeah. Uh, so I think that as far as transmission goes, we'll see evolution in, in, in both directions and applications in both directions. And I think it would be unrealistic to, uh, to say, well, one is going to win and the other one is going to go away. I, I don't know that anybody can make that bet, so probably the wise thing to do is to hedge uh, your, your, your bets uh, against both uh, architectures. Uh, I think also uh, on the theme of um, low, uh, low volume, high mix type of market, I think the um, electrical network, in a, if you wish, on trucks will have to be flexible uh, so that it can be easily reconfigured with minimal uh, non-recurring engineering costs, uh, with minimal sort of capital investment to adapt from one type of electric vehicle to another. 
So to that, aspect, uh, to, to that aspect, we see uh, flexible high-voltage distribution boxes uh, where, where you might have a modular uh, sort of uh, power electronics and, and power distribution, contactors, fuses, and, and, and things like that that can be almost plug-and-play so you can add as many accessories or, or, or power levels of accessories as, as you need in one box that is, uh, you know, thermally managed and uh, uh, EMC uh, insulated and, 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 and so forth. So I, I see that flexibility need uh, just because of the nature of the, of the market. I think that also we're going to see a change in accessories as the um, conventional uh, diesels will need more and more electrical accessories for uh, low Car, uh, to lower their carbon footprint and to lower their NOx emissions. So we're seeing a need for higher power electrical heaters for after treatment, uh, for more efficient after treatment to reduce NOx, especially in cities. We, we are seeing uh, the, the need for uh, electrical air conditioning and electrical accessories to reduce the accessory load. So, so these electrified accessories in the mass market I think they will have their uh, they'll have their implication for commercial electrical vehicles as well. And people are now talking about a three voltage uh, architecture, where on the high voltage you only do traction inverter and uh, batteries, and you know the the, the traction part, uh, and maybe some high power electrical accessories that are truly truly much more efficient at high voltage than uh, at lower voltage, yeah. and then a simple DC to DC converter, and then suddenly you are on a 48-volt accessory bus that might be common with the internal combustion engines. And that will drive uh, lower costs on everything else but the uh, batteries and, and the motors without sacrificing in, in any meaningful way efficiency. Yeah. yeah. I think these are the trends to watch for in commercial electrical vehicles. Brilliant. Well, fantastic. I, I think thank you so much for uh, for taking the time out to do that. That was, I mean, I've, I've learned so much. Uh, it's fascinating. So thank you very much for that, may I? Yeah. Well, thank, thank you, Ryan. It, it, it's, it, it's been a pleasure. You're, you're making me talk about things that I'm very passionate about. And, <laughs> I can tell, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and, and I think the market is just about, you know, starting to realize the potential of the technology and the fact that the cost aren't really perhaps as prohibitive as we once thought. So. Yeah. I certainly 100% um, agree there and, and hope so, given uh, the nature of my, uh, my day job as well. So, uh, yeah, no, we, we see that too. Just when you think uh, it can't change any faster, it seems to pick up yet another gear. So, um, if you pardon the pun. <laughs> so. There you go. Good. You go. Right. Oh, it's truly exciting. And thank you for the opportunity. I, I really enjoyed the, uh, the conversation and, and the, the very thoughtful questions that, um, that really probe hard at, uh, at the heart of the matter. Brilliant. Wow. Well, that was amazing. Um, so massive thanks to Mihai for taking the time out to talk to me. I've learned so much from that. I hope that um, everyone else has as well. Don't forget to... 
Uh, leave us a comment uh, and a rating, depending on which platform you're listening to us on, or hit like. Of course, subscribe to our channel. If you go across to YouTube, there's some great video content over there as well. So if you're interested in some uh, electric uh, vehicle technology videos, um, you'll find those on our uh, on our YouTube channel as well, all of which can be accessed through our website. And don't forget that um, as well, if you have a question or a query or something that you'd like us to talk on in some more detail, um, maybe this podcast uh, got, your, uh, got you thinking about something or a previous podcast that we've done, uh, send your questions in to us and um, and we'll tackle those um, as we can through the podcast episodes. Okay, that's all we've got time for today. Thank you so, so much for taking the time to listen to us and I look forward to speaking to you again soon.